Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1 with It's For Women, the car insurance with extra benefits like personal accident cover. Tweet at Miriam O'Call. Now, as well as being RT's arts and media correspondent, my next guest is the author of three really successful crime novels, all of which have been nominated for the Irish Book Awards. Her fourth and just published novel, The Belladonna Maze, now on the Irish Times bestsellers list, sees a complete change in direction, featuring a ghostly, stately home and a long buried mystery. Sinead Crowley, good morning to you. Thank you very much for having me. Good to be here. A great book. But look, you'd written three very successful crime thrillers, but it's a complete departure for you, isn't it? Why? Why the departure? Well, part of it really is lockdown. Now, this was a story that was floating around in my head. Various elements were floating around in my head for a while, but the bulk of it was written during lockdown. And to be honest with you, I just wanted something different. And I think we all did. I started reading books with ghosts in them or books that were set in beautiful places. I was going back and reading Rebecca and books like that. And, you know, we all wanted to be away. And uh, this idea was in my head for a while, but that's when I wrote the bulk of it. And that is why it's different. There's a bit of romance in it. There's a lot of mystery in it. And it's set in this big, beautiful house in the west of Ireland. So I guess it was probably where I wanted to be in those long months of 2020. And have you missed writing about your famous detective sergeant Claire Boyle? I mean, I miss Claire in a way. I did have uh, an arc, as they say, for her. I did know where I wanted her to go. We left her with a small child and a rather wobbly marriage. So I know myself where that might go. But at the same time, this one, The Belladonna Maze, is just the book I wanted to write. The original character in it, who's called Grace, came to me when I was on holiday a couple of years ago, which kind of shows you that these books aren't written overnight. They're in your head. But when my kids were very small, we used to go to Greece a lot, to an island called Zakynthos, and we'd always go to a place with a kids club. And I remember one year there was this kids disco at night and the children were tiny. And, you know, when you're so busy minding them during the day and then finally there is this hour in the evening where these gorgeous girls will dance and sing and entertain them and you get to sit down. And we were in one of the, and we went to this disco every night. Like they were so good and the boys loved them. And I remember looking at these women going, What do you do at the end of the summer? Where do you go when all of this ends? You are part of my life now for two weeks and I'll never see you again. What do you do at the end of the summer? So that's the character of Grace and that was ticking over in my head for a while. She's a nanny who works as a kids rep during the summer and then in the book she meets a family who thinks she's fantastic and they ask her to come back and be their full-time nanny in their big house in the west of Ireland. So that was in my head. And then I also always wanted to write a ghost story. I always wanted to write that classic big house mystery but set it in Ireland. So all of those things floating in my head and I suppose lockdown gave me the time to sit down and put them together so that's when the bulk of it was written. But where did you get the time to do that because I'm conscious during the pandemic you were on our television so much reporting on COVID almost on a daily basis. When did you sleep and when did you write? COVID actually changed. I mean, it was an immense privilege, first of all, to to report on COVID. They did ask me to leave the day job in arts and media and go on to that. And it was an extraordinary experience. I mean, as a journalist, will we ever see the like of it? Because we were reporting on a story while living the story at the same Mm. time, which is something that I'd never experienced before. You were reporting on those numbers, reporting on, you know, schools closing. But they were my kids. That was our Mm. school that was closing. So it was it was an incredible experience to report on it. So I suppose I wrote the book at night, as I always do. Um, Two children, but they obviously had no, you know, sport or anything to go to in the evening. So ironically, I had a bit more time in the evening than usual. And it was just a case of 
putting that hour or two aside every night. And that, like if I was, when people often say to me, how do you do it or, or could I do it? Just put the hour aside a day. Just do the 500 a day. So that's what I do. I just carve out an hour here. If you do it religiously, if you do it every day, it'll get done. And the Belladonna Maze, it's a beautiful name actually for a book. It's set, as you said, in a big stately home, Hollow Park Hall in Roscommon. Do you have links with Roscommon? I do. My dad was from Roscommon and we always, well, my mother was from Kerry, my dad was from Roscommon. So we would have gone to either place every summer when we were kids. And we always went to Lockheed Forest Park, um, which is still there. It's way more developed now than it was. It's got zip it and all sorts of things. But back in those days, there was the lake. And he used to tell us about, you know, the house that was there and this, the family and the Rockingham estate. And there was always this element of, you know, past life and stories to be told. And so that was very much in my head. And other than that, the House Hollow Park Hall is more based on all of the houses I've been lucky enough to work with in RTE. Because the nice thing about my job as arts correspondent mm. is, the nice thing about all of our jobs as journalists is you get to see backstage mm. at nice things. So I get to cover concerts at Slane, but you know, you get to see a bit of the castle or I get to cover, concerts, say, Electric Picnic in Strad Valley, but you get to go down the day before and see the setup. So I was fascinated by all these families who have these amazing houses or estates and they're trying to do something with them to keep them going whether it's have I've covered arts exhibitions in Castletown House or Rusper or wherever so they were all linked into it in my head so I made up a house it's not physically based on anyone but that it drew on all of that experience of all these families that do fascinating things so the family in my book are trying to do up the house as a sort of a destination wedding venue they're not quite sure what they're going to do but they're trying to earn money to replace the roof and make it beautiful and then you know have it as a going concern and then obviously my character Grace is there to mind their child while they do all that hard work. And I believe you also paid a visit to Strokestown House after you'd written your book and you were actually struck by the similarities between it and your fictional creation, Hollow Park Hall. It was the spookiest thing. And the funny, people have asked me, because it's a ghost story, people say, do you believe in ghosts? And I would have said I wasn't sure, but it was, visiting Strokestown was really strange because it was after we were allowed to travel again. And obviously I get to cover art exhibitions, which is a fantastic part of my job. And I got this press release about a famine art exhibition that were actually glass potatoes. And I thought, this sounds really intriguing. They sound beautiful. And it was in Strokestown House in County Roscommon. And we were allowed to travel at that stage. So pitch it to the editors and they said, off you go. So when I arrived at Strokestown, um, the house was still partially shut down because we were coming out of COVID. But the manager said, it's fine. The exhibition is actually not in the house. It's in this little tower on the edge of the grounds. Now, one of my characters is a sculptor who works in a tower on the edge of the grounds. So I think I kind of paled and I said, mm-hmm. it's in a tower. And he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, right. So I crossed, we went and we met the artist and she had her beautiful pieces, like they're glass potatoes. They're just stunning. And it was all about the famine. And he said, do you know anything about the house? And I said, no. And he started telling me and the landlord was one of the first landlords, I think, to be killed by their tenants. You know, there was real aggression mm. in the area. And I said, I have a nasty landlord in my book. And literally, the more he told me about Strokestown, the more I went, yep, yeah, that's my house. That's my house. And then when we were finished doing the art piece, I walked back to the house and I just looked at it and I went, that's Hollow Park Hall. I mean, it's I took photos of it and I sent it to my editor and I said, I found Hollow Park. It was extraordinary. So, I mean, I have two thoughts about it either A I suppose my research was such that thankfully it, it, it was good enough that this did happen or B had I visited as a kid I mean we did go to Roscommon and not so maybe I was there but I don't remember being there but it was a, a really strange experience but a very comforting one as well because it said to me yeah you're going down the right road you know you have this right 
What do you think about ghosts? Do you believe in ghosts? I believe, you know, that phrase, matter can neither be created nor destroyed. I strongly feel that. I do feel that if people are alive and they are so vibrant and so loved and have such presence that they go somewhere. Mm. And I haven't thought about it any further than that. You know, I can't put my finger on it and say, yes, I saw X or I saw Y. But certainly I felt that day in Strokestown. There was just a sense of you're on the right path. You're telling their story. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're writing historical fiction, which I am now, you have a duty to tell the story correctly. And I did feel that I was doing that. There were so many similarities. I thought, yeah, I must be on the right path. And I made a big effort writing this book to contact, you know, historians and, and people who knew the period because the journalist in me wouldn't want to get anything wrong. Mm, you know, I don't yeah. want somebody to read it and say, no, they didn't have that carriage then or they didn't wear that. So I, I was, you know, very careful to run it past historians who read drafts. But that day I thought, yeah. So is that a ghost? Probably not. But I believe in in links to the past and in telling stories. And ghost stories really are about keeping the past alive. Mm. You know, my youngest child came home from a scout camp the other day, his first overnight, and he told me a ghost story that they'd been telling. And it was the same story we would have told 40 years ago, you know. And I thought that's, that is energy existing. That is messages being passed down from one generation to another. That's what stories are and ghost stories are. So that's a, it's a roundabout way of saying I don't know, but yeah, I'm not well, saying no. Really interesting. Did you always want to be a novelist, a writer, or did you want to be a journalist? I mean, which came first? The writer came first, um, as in when I was, you know, four in school, I would have been writing stories and writing poems. But it's funny, even as you say, did you want to be a writer? I don't even know. Do I still see myself as that? Because it's been such an interesting and such a long road. Um, I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to write things. But even when I left school, I didn't even know how you could be a journalist. I had no clue how people would do that. Um, So I applied for communications in DCU and it had this lovely broad prospectus, like secretly I wanted to be a journalist. But it said you could do other things like teach and be a civil servant. So I thought, well, I'll have that. (laughs) But the minute I did that, loved it, loved the broadcasting. Luckily then when I left college, local radio was really at a height. So worked in Radio Nalifa locally and then Claire FM and Radio Kerry and broadcasting was, was the way to get in really. Loads of my colleagues in RTE came up that way as well. But the writing... The fiction was always there and I bought a massive computer with an early wage packet. I remember when I was working in Clare, I had a little Nissan Micra and I had to cart this huge Apple Mac <laughs> that with a desk. Like every time I moved house, I had to cart it because I wanted because I was writing these stories the whole time and got loads of knockbacks, you know, sent stories into places that didn't get published, wrote an entire novel in my 20s that didn't get published. So it's it's the long game. But if you just kept going, kept wanting to do it, just didn't want to give up, you know. And I'm conscious there's probably a lot of people listening this morning who do want to write that book and maybe have become despondent or have tried to get things published and have failed. What would your advice to them be? Well, one of the best things I did was probably the novel that didn't work because that was when I was in my 20s. I had started three or four of them and then I finished one in my 20s and... It was fine. Looking back on it now, it's not great, but it was finished and I did all the wrong things. I I literally typed the end and immediately sent it off to a publisher. I didn't even reread it. But I got nice feedback from people saying, look, this isn't the one, but you will do it eventually. And that gave me great confidence. But you have to finish it. That's that is the one piece of advice. Most people I know 
get to 25 or 30,000 words and then they stall. And most writers will tell you that there's a stage of 30,000 words where you think this is rubbish. It's the worst book that's ever been committed to paper and you stop, but push past it and finish it. It's a lot easier to fix something than it is to go onto a blank page. And I'd also tell people not to get worried about age because Mm -hmm. there are so many good writers now, particularly women starting in their 40s or even their 50s, because you could be busy, you could have kids, you could be, Mm -hmm. you know, working as well. But it's the one job where, you know, you don't need, in fact, if anything, I think experience helps. That first novel I wrote didn't have enough life experience in it. My first novel that worked was one on maternity leave about somebody on maternity leave. So I needed that life experience. So you do have to keep going. And there's loads of, like the writing community is so vibrant in Ireland at the moment. So go to a few festivals, whether you're in Dublin or Lestole or Kells or wherever they're on. Go and meet people and chat to them. And I think that helps as well because it normalises it. What, For example, what really helped me working in RTE was meeting authors and realising they weren't godlike figures. They were ordinary people mm-hmm. who just sat down and did it and did it until it worked. So that helped too. But really, I'm afraid there's no quick answer. It's just you have to keep at it. I think it's really good advice. Just as we close, you've such a great job as well as an arts and media correspondent. Do you want to keep both going or is there a dream one day <laughs> that you just become a novelist full time? Or do you well, like both? If Mr. Netflix is listening and wants to <laughs> offer the mega deal, he knows where to find me. But no, other than that, I think the job in RT has actually sparked so many thoughts. As I said, the house in Hollow Park Hall was because of all these amazing places I visited in my job. And so, so far, the two of them have, you know, coexisted really nicely. But I think this time, this is the fourth book. And actually, I'm enjoying the process a little bit more. I was nervous about calling myself a writer, bizarrely, up until now. My friends laugh at me. They say, you have three of them. (laughs) But this time I'm thinking, no, hang on a second. You know, there is this four of them up there now. And starting to introduce myself maybe as a journalist and a writer. So I'm enjoying that bit. But other than that, look, I used the word privilege before and I think the job on RT is a privilege in that the, the the look backstage into people's lives it gives us, you know. So the two are coexisting really nicely at the moment. Well, congratulations, Sinead. Not just a writer, but also on the Irish Times bestsellers list right now. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure chatting to you in your book, The Belladonna Maze. It's a brilliant read, especially for the summer. It's published by Head of Zeus and it's available now. And that's it from us for today. The series producer is Cora Ennis. Ruth Kennington was on sound. Thanks so much for listening. Stay listening now for Brendan. Until next Sunday, Sloan. Sunday with Miriam. Listen back on the RTE Radio Player.